You are listening to Adventures in Sustainable Business with Jurgensen and Peterson. Join the adventurous exploration of sustainable business. Okay. In today's episode of Adventures in Sustainable Business, we have a proper sustainability adventurer with us, Sveinung. Uh, Laura Storm is here, and uh, we first came across Laura when she was uh, the head of, of Sustainia. Uh, but since then, uh, she has uh, had many other projects, many uh, other adventures in her life. She uh, is the founder of Regenerators. She is the author, together with Giles Hutchins, of the book Regenerative Leadership, the DNA of Life-Affirming 21st Century Organizations. It's a pleasure to have you here, Laura. Welcome. It's a true pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I've spent uh, quite some time following you online in in social media, and I've spent the the last few days reading Regenerative uh, Leadership. And uh, I have so many questions now and so many thoughts. I'm not quite sure if I I slept very well uh, tonight, uh, because many of these things that you write about are quite thought-provoking and and, and, uh, kind of took me in the gut a little bit because who am I? And I, I kept asking myself, am I a regenerative leader or not? And is there any hope? And uh, with, with and the question, like my, my, my first question is, what is a regenerative leader? <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I think there is generally a lot of hope. I can't say whether there's any hope for you, but... <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um so a regenerative leader is one who is anchored deep within within the, themselves and has a very clear understanding of um, their own blind spots and shadows and how they show up in the world. Um, and the whole concept of regeneration is all about creating conditions conducive for life to thrive. And regenerative leaders have this understanding that that's important in every corner of society. And that's important that I bring this quality with me in every interaction. So, um, so I come from the old sustainability world in many ways and leading up uh, to the COP15 in, in Copenhagen many, many uh, years ago now. Um, I was very involved in the international climate politics politics and and started sustaining out of out of that and out of feeling kind of hopeless and and depressed about how we communicated about what i believe is the most important agenda um for for human beings um started sustaining because i wanted uh, an approach that was more inspiring and focused on solutions and actions and uh, and all of that, um, but then, and we can maybe go further into into that. And what what started to change my mind was that really, when we look at the challenges in our world today, everything is interconnected. Um, solving climate change or loss of biodiversity in the whole sustainability agenda—that's um, that's not a, a separate individual um, issue. It's it's infusing every corner of society and it's very much uh, a systemic challenge and we need to address this in a systemic way and when people um, hear that they nod and they agree but it's it's deeper than that it's not just about addressing multiple agendas at the same time it's also about this realization awareness and about um, human psychology and what we bring to the world and how we do that and um, if we are to solve the the challenge that we are in the midst of, we need people that are full of health and vitality. We need people that are thriving. We need people that can tap into their true human ingenuity. But right now, we have never been more depressed, burned out, anxious. Um, the rates of suicide is off the roof. It's we are not feeling well. 
And when we are not feeling well, it's just impossible for us to navigate our way out of this crisis. We need people that can tap into that creativity that we that we need now more than ever. But also when people are burned out and stressed, they can't physiologically access empathy and compassion. They cannot think in interconnected systems. They get tunnel vision and they can only focus on one issue at at a time. And for me, that's quite saying. Um, And it's also something that I see in the world of sustainability all the time, this tunnel vision where we are only focusing on either scaling solutions or new financial mechanisms or a new strategy to implement in our organizations. And we have a sustainability officer in place to be leading that effort, which which is a good first step, I guess. But if that person is continuously creating degenerative ripples in in in, in how they implement th- that strategy, for example, or if it's not um, integrated into the wholeness of that organization, then it it won't do much good. What I talk a lot about is that importance of um, of, t- of seeing your organization as a living, breathing system. Um, you teach at business schools. I have a background both from uh, um, Copenhagen Business School, London and, and, and Howard. And there we were trained to see the organization as a machine, um, value chain al- analysis and these very rigid mechanistic approaches to um, organizational development. And, 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 and for me, that's just, um, that's insanity. And we need to train ourselves, we need to train our students to think of the organization as a living, breathing system. And instead of us being leaders as this typical controller and commander that comes into a, a room very charismatically and outlines the um, the strategy for, for the company and then the employees are executing that strategy, we need a new approach where the, the executive is more like an ecosystem facilitator and nurturer of that living living, breathing system. Some of these um, executives that we have worked with are starting to call themselves not chief executive officer, but but chief ecosystem operator. And that kind of understanding that that I'm not controlling a system. My focus is on ensuring conditions for life and health and thrivability. Um, so that's uh, what that was a long explanation, but uh, but I hope it. But it was a very good one, and and we want you to to continue. And I, I was uh, I was put in mind when you were talking to actually when Sveinung and I met. I think it must have been two thousand and six at a PhD course in ecological economics up in the, in the north of Norway. And uh, I remember one of the sessions was about what what I think is is part of what you're talking about. The distinction between, on the one hand, uh, what our good friend and, and colleague Uwe Jakobsen, professor in ecolo- ecological economics, referred to as the me- mechanistic world worldview versus yeah. the organic wor- worldview. That was sort of one uh, dimension. And another one that you didn't address now, but that we've read about in your book, is between what one might call an individualistic approach versus a more holistic approach to these problems. Exactly. So I think that both of these two dimensions were very you know, prominent in what you were just saying. And I like this idea of the ecosystem ecosystem facilitator was that the phrase and this idea that as i understand you you know if you want to move from something that isn't regenerative leadership towards regenerative regenerative leadership it implies that leaders need to change but there's something in what you're saying that also implies that the systems and the and the ecosystems and and the contexts need to change so you're, in some sense there are several things here that i guess have to happen a little bit in tandem, a little bit, you know, sequentially. Perhaps you can. I'm sure that we'll we'll get to many of the aspects of, of the book that, that discusses this. But perhaps you can address that, you know, twofold challenge a little bit. Both, you know, the need to change, as you're referring to, changing the system itself, mm-hmm. and then also changing leaders, the the individuals in the ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and for me, first, I think it's important that we address what do we what do we mean by leadership? Because for me, it's not just that executives need to change. Regenerative leadership is something that happens on um, all levels of society, and um, and and many of the people that that um, that join the various kind of virtual offerings that I've had in the past couple of years are people that are really really passionate about creating change and being the entrepreneur in their organization. 
um, and starting to infuse and inspire and, and, and offer these cracks of light of a new way of being. Um, so, so I just wanted to, to say that um, to begin with, that we need to, to change how we, how we view leadership because often it's something that is only for a few people and that can create a lot of apathy among other people because what, what is my agency for change um, and, and, and does it even matter? And what I have seen again and again is that, um, is that these amazing entrepreneurs are actually really creating um, the needed ripple Uh, effects and the needed inspiration within their living system. Um, I would like to use a, a meta metaphor from the world of biology. So when when the caterpillar um, is a caterpillar, it's um, it, it it within that stage it has what is um, referred to in biology as imaginal cells, cells that that are similar to the caterpillar cells, but they hold the higher evolutionary potential of that species. And when the caterpillar goes into the chrysalis phase, um, it um, it fights it in the beginning, and it does everything to um, to kind of fight these imaginal cells. And but suddenly the imaginal cells are gaining traction, and they form into imaginal groupings, is what the term is. And when they reach a certain threshold, um, the 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 immune system of the caterpillar can no longer fight these new cells and and the transformation the metamorphosis starts to happen and i use this as a metaphor because that's what i see again and again in in organizations of all uh, scales and sizes um that it actually doesn't matter that individual passionate employees start to dare because it's a lot about tapping into a new way of being courageous and start to address um, address these issues and start to talk about uh, new regenerative ways of being because that's something that we can do on a small scale in how we host meetings and how we write emails and how we design uh, work processes and workflows. And many of the companies that I've worked with have really design their work processes to be aligned, for example, with the cyclical approach to life. We can get back to that later, what that actually means and looks and feels like. So there's the individual level that is so incredibly important. And if we if we stay in the in the kind of metaphorical landscape of uh, of seeing the organization as a as a living breathing system, um, as an organism, everything that is alive within that organism are Are cells within the system, cells within the organization, um, and if if those cells are incredibly uh, stressed and burned out, they are not healthy cells, and therefore this, the the living system as a whole can never get healthy and can never tap into that system's full potential. Um, and 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 therefore the micro and macro is so incredibly important, and we need to change the system. Yes, but the system cannot be changed changed top down it's it's simply impossible we need to as as executives to learn how to hold space for emergence and to start by just as the permaculture gardener um the permaculture gardener starts by um they know that the most important thing is the soil we can never grow anything we can never create abundance if um if if the soil is depleted from critical nutrients etc so i need to take care of my soil first And when that's healthy, we can start to create miracles. And it's the same in, in the whole kind of mindset of the regenerative era, that we need to ensure the cultural soil is in full health um, before we can create abundance. So it's about getting the foundation in place. And the foundation also includes your own inner mentality. Um, we see so much trauma in the world right now. And when we look around, I... I I truly believe that 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 it's deeply unhealed trauma within many executives, many leaders in our world right now that is continuously creating destruction and degeneration. Um, so for me, all of this is tied together. It's the same thing. It's it's, but I'm just very very sick of. Uh, of the sustainability field sticking sticking within the comfort zone of sustainability metrics or circular economy, et cetera, because it's not 
gonna cut it guys so if we are not daring to tender to the cultural soil of this movement that we are creating um it's it's change is not going to happen in the time that we need to see it happen within In the beginning of the book, uh, there's a lot of words starting with re here. It's regeneration versus degeneration and, and, uh, and this idea of renewing and also of, of nature. And uh, when I'm listening to you now and, and these ideas about who we are, how we lead, how we treat ourselves, how we treat our, our others and, and, and nature, you, you talk about this journey of of reconnection in, in the beginning of the book. And you take us pretty far back. You take us a few billion years back. Uh, and, and there's another word with re that, that comes to mind. And it's a good colleague of ours, Gunnel Vedum, who's been writing about retrovation, not innovation, but retrovation, going back. Mm-hmm. And she hasn't been dealing with the, with the, the things that you're describing here, more on, on how companies then, okay, related to sustainability, can, can, can go back and find ideas. How did we do it uh, a few decades decades ago but you go centuries you go way way back and you talk about how how we came uh, to life from from the ocean uh, and how we mm-hmm. were were connected in many ways and and that, then how we were deconnected could you could you take us a, a little bit on that journey from 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 the beginning yeah so we also uh, everything that is alive on this planet um whether it's a plant or a species or a fungi comes from the first cell um deep in the volcanic vents of the of the deep ocean 3.8 billion years ago and we share kinship with everything that is alive on this amazing planet of ours Um, and life has emerged through billions and billions of years of trial and error Um, and what we are surrounded by is a very fine-tuned wisdom and intelligence Um, of uh, of this evolutionary intelligence in many ways and thankfully there's more and more that are looking into that and we can get back to that for example the field of of biomimicry but but there's something um that that i often stress to executives that are curious about regenerative business that what it also boils down to is this rediscovery and reclaiming um, of uh, of our own inner nature and that kinship that we share with everything that is alive, that can be very a very powerful experience, especially if you have it out in nature. Um, and this sense that 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 we are all here, thanks to billion years of evolution. Um, but also because human beings have survived all kinds of things, that they have survived in very close communion and relationship with nature. And um, and we in the Nordic world, but it's true for every kind of indigenous culture, that they had this deep communion with nature and that their gods represented elements of nature and we were seeing ourselves as partners and collaborators with that essence. And that's something that we see all over the world um, uh, when we study indigenous cultures. But it's something that we have within a very short time span, because we have been around for approximately 200,000 years. And for 99% of that time that we have been a species on this planet, we have lived completely in tune with nature. That's our natural habitat. Um, but, but now we are very deprived of our natural habitat. And, and often I paint the picture of how would we feel or how do we feel emotionally when we look at a, at an image or a picture of a chimpanzee in a cage. Um, but, but in many ways, that's what we have done to ourselves. We spent the majority of our life in uh, concrete buildings under artificial lighting, right? Um, that's not the conditions for us to to thrive or tap into ultimate health and well-being because we need to be surrounded by our natural habitat. And thankfully, science is gearing up on that field and are showing us that research um, proves that just after spending 20 minutes in nature, our creativity and our 
creative problem solving skills improve by 50%. Um, our mood, our compassion, our ability to collaborate, also our ability to heal after surgery or illness improves tremendously after spending time in nature. Um, but that's not something that is part of our culture or, or part of our upbringing. And, and something happened in the Middle Ages, um, the Little Ice Age, which was a period of very, very, very cold, um, excruciatingly cold winters, but also cold and rainy summers, which meant that crops were failing. And 25 years into that Little Ice Age, the, the Pope... Um, in desperation, um, wanted to find a culprit, and um, and that was nature. And nature is now seen as the extension of the work of the devil. And and because you couldn't really put nature on a trial, and you couldn't completely get rid of nature, um, they 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 decided that um, the reason for this tragedy that they were in was um was due to the 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 witches and the wise elders of the time so everyone that had a knowledge of nature it could be plant medicine it could also be midwives it could be um just regular or normal human beings that uh, owned a black cat or were using herbal medicine they were suddenly called witches and they had to be put on trial and, and that trial um, process was led by the scientific, growing scientific community at the time, especially by um, a legal prosecutor and scientist, the inventor of the scientific method, Francis Bacon. He led many of those uh, trials. Um, and, and he was doing that and, and kind of uh, the framing around him was that he was a hero because he by torturing these uh, women and some men, he was extracting the knowledge of wisdom of nature for the benefit of humankind and mankind. Um, so millions were tortured um, and, and many were brutally murdered. And I believe that, that those incidents, uh, and it, it wasn't just a couple of years that that happened, it was um, approximately 250 years has created a, a massive uh, psychological chasm and trauma in our societies. And because colonialism came after that, that kind of mindset that we need to extract um, extract human and natural resources um, and, and, and we need to kill everyone that, that are in communion with nature, that was very much the mindset that we then infused the entire planet with in our uh, colonialistic efforts um, mm -hmm. to take over the planet. And, and when I talk about us, I mean Europeans. Um, so I believe that that's something that we need to dare look at. And I believe it's something that is showing up in society today all the time that we are not aware of this separation of human beings and nature or natural habitat, but also this mechanistic hyper-masculine approach to, um, to science and to doing business and, uh, and this, I could talk for a long time about this story of separation piece and how we need to, to, to be facilitators of a, of a reclaiming, a reconciliation, a reconnection. So we need as leaders to be aware of the fact that this is, this is showing up again and again. And it can be incredibly uncomfortable to look at because it's all about looking ourselves in the eye and like, how, how am I? showing up in the world and and am i continuously also subconsciously repeating this story of separation between humans between me and nature between masculine feminine qualities um i mean i was also trained in the world of, of business um, even though my focus has always been on aiding the, tr the sustainable transition i thought that if i had a business background i could be uh, that trojan horse that would <laughs> change the business world from the inside out um, but it's it's something that I had to consciously look at how I was trained to if if you want to matter and if you want to be taken seriously you need to practically look and talk like a man at quite an early age I was suddenly finding myself at the age of 26 negotiating climate policy with Chinese CEOs and you and 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 utility leaders um, of, of both Europe, European companies and and Chinese and American companies um, so I, I, I can see and I noticed, 
I can notice when I look back that I slowly but surely morphed into this masculine version of myself. And, and that I'm not alone in having seen that or witnessing that happen to me. And when you look in the world of business today, we see so many people, both, um, both women and men, um, that are, that are to some extent playing roles and not being in true authenticity and not being truly aligned with the, with the essence of their soul. And, and for me, that's such an, an important part of this transition. If we don't reclaim what we have lost, in through the journey of, 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 of history and what we have been through as a collective, we don't stand a chance. So we need to, uh, to reclaim and re-nurture this kindred spirit approach or this approach of seeing ourselves as, as, um, as stewards. And, and, and there's a term that is called from Joanna Macy called deep stewardship. Because often when executives talk about stewardship, it's still something about seeing themselves as ships on or captains of, the, of a ship and still that kind of mentality that I'm leading the way forward. But deep stewardship is this importance of seeing yourself as, as a steward of the greater interconnected web of life and everything you do create ripples. Um, and you need to see yourself not as above, but as a part of. Um, of a greater interconnected life. You don't control, you don't, you don't write out executive orders, but you are nurturing that, that interconnected wholeness. Um, so it's quite a fascinating journey and, and a journey that I believe we need to go through if, uh, as I said before, if, if, if we are to stand a chance solving the challenges that we are in the midst of. You're talking about a form of, of transformation. Broadly speaking, earlier as well, you mentioned transformation as a concept, and, and you're now talking about it specifically with regard to this, this connection, or if you will, reconnection uh, with nature. And I'm sort of thinking about parallels, or, or you know, or not parallels, but examples of, of leaders who, who, who've had such experiences, and, and one that strikes me uh, immediately, which I know that you've written about and we've written about as well, um, is, is Ray Anderson uh, from Interface, uh, who had a form of epiphany, right? That's, I think, the word he uses to describe it. And, and there was a form of, you know, there was a sense in his, you know, epiphany of, of understanding that his company was really, you know, environmentally brutal, if you will, uh, that, that there was a need for a, for a very comprehensive transformation of the company. But in doing so, I think there was also a real transformation of, of him as a leader that made him into a completely different leader from what he had been uh, before. And, and I know you, you've spoken about this concept of, of factories as a forest, uh, that is a, uh, an interface uh, project, I guess we could call it, of, of making factories into, uh, making them look more like actual plants. So making them uh, regenerative by design so that they, you know, make the water cleaner than it was when it entered the factory, the, the, the air come cleaner out of the factory than into the factory, all of those kinds of things. And and I'm curious as to how you think about this this you know the, the need for not just the one the two the three leaders but how how to scale this this phenomenon if you will how to, you know we can't magically fly around and create those epiphanies in the minds of, of managers what, what do you think will be the you know the triggers what 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 is required this is a you know it's a tricky question that maybe doesn't even have a doesn't really have an answer but you know how can this be scaled i think first and foremost we need to stop using the word scale um it's something that the world of sustainability we just love to use that word right um and there is not a recipe and i'm asked this question quite a lot actually because of course i mean we we need people to have ray anderson epiphanies um but thankfully I, what I can testament to um, through my work is that when I started, started to talk about these things in, in a radical, radical new way from what I have had done before, um, approximately six years ago, something like that, um, I could quite clearly sense that people thought I... Um, I was a bit crazy or either they were just too overwhelmed by focusing on the sustainability strategies that all of this was just too much to take in. Um, so they kind of sh shut it down. But what I have witnessed the past two years 
even though, I mean, we, we published the, the book two and a half years ago. And when we published that, it was not an instant bestseller. I will, I will tell you that. Um, and many had not heard about the concept of regenerative business and leadership, but now it's gaining a lot of traction. And that's, we are not the only ones that are working within this field now. We are gathered by many um, a day. There's this appetite and maybe more rightfully put this, what I witness is a collective longing, a collective longing for authenticity and, and being these stewards a desperate longing for a new way. Um, I don't know what has brought that, or whether it's the, the pandemic that have brought people people closer to home, literally and physically, and 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 made them start to look themselves in the eye and like what 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 is it that I'm investing all of my or many of my waking hours a day? What is it that I'm investing them in? And is, is, is that aligned with my true purpose in life? Um, is that aligned with, um, with the legacy that I, that I want to have? There's a very big whole piece around the concept of, of ancestors that I talk quite a lot about. Um, and often I guide executives into seeing themselves as, uh, as ancestors for future generations and are you then being a good ancestor we 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 are brought on this planet at quite an epochal hour right we are the first generation to truly know this the severity of the challenges that we are in and we also the last generation to do something about it i think it was johan rockstrom that uh, that coined that phrase or or helped us realize that that is really the the sense of urgency um, and and are we then being being the ancestor we would like to be? Are we bringing about the change on every level that that we would be proud of when we are on our deathbed? Um, and that death notch is the closest that I can come on on creating the conditions where people are starting to to tap into that space because that's what we need. It's not about a new fancy uh, management strategy approach or a new set of certification scheme um, all of that are important tools but they are only that um, they are only tools in our toolbox um, but what we need to focus on is the man or woman who is carrying that toolbox and how are they using those and in what way and what conditions is the the way that you use these tools what 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 are what societies are they creating and building with those tools In chapter 11 in your book, you have a quite different toolbox for, for leaders. It's not a toolbox of these sustainable strategies, uh, as, you, as you say. It's, it's, it's a toolbox for regenerative leaders. And when I say chapter 11, I, I jump over 270 pages. <laughs> I mean, so, but, but you, you talked a lot about those things in between as well, from the start to in the beginning, what, it, what, this, uh, uh, what this regenerative leadership is uh, and and what it's not and now you end the book with a with a toolbox so if you can explain that toolbox and, and also you have this regenerative leadership journey with mm-hmm. with leaders that you just have started and i guess this toolbox is, is is important there as well so can you tell us a little bit about both both the the the, the different kind of toolbox that you that you have here and and how you work with the your regenerative leadership journey program so we we have an an amazing brain and we have the left brain hemisphere and the right brain hemisphere and the left brain hemisphere is that part of our brain that understands logic and rational analysis and the right brain hemisphere is the part of our brain that is uh, has the ability of thinking outside the box and be truly creative and also kind of crazy um and uh, listeners of this podcast, I would advise to 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 hear the the TED talk of a Harvard trained brain scientist called uh, Dr. Deal Boulder Taylor, and she um, was this very traditional brain uh, scientist um, who operated very much from the rigid mechanistic paradigm, and then she had um, a stroke. And, and she's taking the listeners through the journey of that stroke, those kind of minute, minutes where it happened, 
where she experienced, um, had a bodily sensation of what it feels like when your brain suddenly cannot tap into the left brain hemisphere, the rational analytical part of our brains. So she experienced it as if it was a psychedelic trip. She saw everything as alive and interconnected and in colors and, um, and had this wild spiritual experience of seeing everything as interconnected and alive. And thankfully for her, or, or otherwise she wouldn't be alive today, um, she, her brain sometimes oscillated back into the left brain hemisphere and she was able to call an ambulance and understand the severi severity of her situation. But her scientific field or studies and her work radically changed after that experience because she was like, we have not dedicated enough time to this amazing part of our brains because we have created an educational system where we only focusing on their left brain hemisphere, training students into rational, analytical, logical ways of assessing problems and challenges. We need to, to cater to the right brain hemisphere of us. Um, and this is a long introduction ways of saying that 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 is something that I strongly believe in. Also, when I teach in, in, these, um, in these virtual journeys, that um, that we need a combination of both and that's also why we in the in in the book have a, a toolbox because um we can go to some places tapping into our uh, creativity and wild side of us and we can have a longing in our essence um but we also have an appetite for just give me some practices just give me some tools just give me the first steps um and and i strongly believe that there's no recipe but we can we can train people to start to think in new ways so one of the the tools in our little toolbox is how do we train ourselves to become ecosystem facilitators how do we do ecosystem maps where we are taking into account both the inner and outer dimensions the left brain hemisphere the right brain hemisphere where we are seeing our system or an, our organization as a living breathing system an organism and and we are starting to see the 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 employees and everything that is alive also natural resources as cells within that organ organism and how do we then create flow and abundance and tap into potential and address um stagnated energy friction and tension etc and how do we do that in a regenerative way so the book offers suggestions as to how to do that um and 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 that's 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 part of the field also, because if, if regenerative business or leadership was just about this, this, this concept of tapping into your authenticity, et cetera, um, it's, it's not going to cut it either. We need approaches from all dimensions um, if we are to succeed. And, and, and the concept, in my opinion, of regenerative business is a very holistic field where, where, we, where we are not letting go of everything that we have been trained to, to, to do either. Um, we are not discarding in any way circular economy or traditional sustainability metrics or anything. Those are important tools but they are not going to cut it alone. So they need to be part of a, of a plethora of solutions. Um, and, and first and foremost, we need to start take the first step by addressing in what ways do we represent in our, through our actions this, this story of separation piece. Um, and, and are we comfortable, truly are we comfortable with, um, with embarking on a journey into uncharted waters? Or are we rather... Uh, wanting to stick within our comfort zone because what we need right now the, the most is is courageous leaders that's that that dare to go into a landscape where they where they're not comfortable with the tools or the practices yet because what is exciting about this era is that it's something we are co-creating and we are creating the right space for true emergence and flow to happen by holding each other's hands and sharing practices, practices and best lessons and all of that. And that's also why I was very passionate and have been for a long time creating this global community of regenerators that could learn from each other and could inspire um, each other to, to, to truly witness that they are not alone because that's something that I see and hear again and again and I, and I feel it, that so many people feel they're alone with these thoughts and ideas. So they shut them down and, and speak the old language to get their uh, part of their opinion across. Um, so they need to see that they're not alone and we need to learn from each other, inspire each other. So, so that's a journey that I have embarked upon, um, this year. So it's a year long journey. 
Um, and in the beginning, I just want, I mean, the more the merrier, and we want to create this entire movement. But then there were so many people signing up very quickly. So I decided to cut it at, at around 300 people. Um, so we are 300 people traveling together um, in, in, in this year. And right now, I mean, we started in January. So still it's, it's about this cultural soil. It's both about discussing how do this community actually want to work together um, because there's everyone is put into a group. And, and what is very interesting is to witness all this human messiness that also comes up when we are, are opening up to a field like this. We're also tapping into a new way of vulnerability because people can no longer hide behind talking about circular economy or other very kind of things in the outer world. It's also about this inner journey. So it's also about looking themselves in the, in the eye. And the, and the homework is, is very much focused, especially in the beginning, about their own um, trauma and shadows and how they are manifesting the story of separation through their actions etc so a lot of things come up which is, which is exciting um, and challenging because it's that's that's the whole purpose that we are here right now to hold space for us to advance into a next level of human consciousness and i know that can sound very kind of la 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 and, and, <laughs> and, and spiritual and scandinavian people we talk about this every single day i know i know <laughs> you you are totally there i know and you, not, a, not at all not at and all, you spend so much time in nature and, yes, and oh, i was <laughs> oh my god we, we can talk a lot about that but again in this personal toolbox in this this notion of, of journal journaling, yeah. quiet time, deep listening. Uh, if I remember correctly, also dancing. Uh, so, so, and, and that's why I'm, I'm joking a little bit about it. I'm taking this dead seriously, mm. I, I, absolutely dead seriously. And I'm, I'm kind of when I'm listening to you and, and reading and reading between the lines. There's a there's something there that I, I'm, I'm trying to, to understand. And in, in one way, we have the another kind of toolbox, like the circular economy that you mentioned several times. Uh, at the same time, I think that we need something else. We need something new, but we don't really know what that is. And, mm -hmm. and how I perceive you and your project here is then to go back to the, to the leaders, to the people, and then kind of trusting them. If they, if they go on this journey, new ideas will form. Am I correct? Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and that is the whole point because I'm so against this, I mean, uh, worshiping of, of so-called new visionary thinkers or leaders. And then we put them on a pedestal. Um, and they can only fail when they are put on that pedestal. What, what needs to characterize the regenerative era? is our ability to hold space for emergence, hold space together for, uh, for, for that new thing that none of us could have envisioned in our own minds, to hold space for what could be truly, truly co-created. Um, and also hold space for things that we can't see, but we can, we can feel. Um, and, and, and what I mean by that is that something truly magical happens, and it's something that we can all experience. Something truly magical happens when we hold space for each other um, in nature. So that's why I often take executives out in nature. Um, and that's something that more and more teams have started to do, especially during the pandemic. What happens? Um, what happens with our collabor collaborations and our partnerships and our projects when we are seeing nature as a as as part of the team? Um, so that's that's another another little kind of tool that 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 starts to invite nature in um, and and give it a seat around the table because it has so much much wisdom for us and that's the whole part of us being these deep deeply rooted stewards. There are many threads running through your career, Laura, and I'm, uh, and, and of course, then also through your your life. And and one of them is you you mentioned leading this this movement and sort of mobilizing. And I think uh, a big part of that is mobilizing young people. That's how I also remember Sustainia, uh, which we knew of not closely, but we followed you, and and uh, it seemed also to be a movement that was in some sense driven in part by young people who, who wanted to, to make changes. And I think there's always a risk. And, and as, as um, teachers in, in, in you know, sustainable business and, and related 
topics, there's always this risk that when we invite um, executives into our classrooms, they are people who are perhaps driving change, driving transformation even, but they're doing it from a position of you know, establishment and power, if you will. I use the example of Ray Anderson. He was a su- successful guy, probably a wealthy guy, and he could start the transformation of his company from there. Uh, but many of our listeners uh, are, are young people, are students, uh, or perhaps uh, recently come out of, of, of business school or other types of education. Uh, and it's tempting to ask, uh, ask you for some advice for them if they want to become regenerative leaders, not from that position of you know, establishment and power that you know, are the privilege of some, uh, but they're trying to do it more you know, grassroots, bottom up as young aspiring managers. Um, what would be your advice to to them for for joining this movement and becoming regenerative leaders? I think they they are the true answer in many ways, and thankfully, it's a lot easier today to come across with your opinions and ideas as a young person. At least that's my experience or feedback that I received that in, that than it was ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. Um, because there's a greater recognition of um, of the creative life force that the younger generation have. What I have seen and 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 heard for of, of feedback from young people that have either read the book or been on any of my journeys and are then starting to create change is that quite a lot can happen at a very small scale. What examples have uh, have been um, uh, one person who started a book club around regenerative leadership in within the organization quite innocent i mean sending being allowed to send out an email about hey this book um um that person he got a budget uh, so that he could buy books for those that that want it but it's still a very as is a low fee right um and and he got 20 people excited about that i think it was an organization of around 150 people so he got 20 people excited about that and he did a little book club um, where he for four Fridays organized um, deeper dives into these themes that we bring up in, in, in the book. And, and then the fifth had grown into quite a big workshop around, okay, what would that look like for us? How could this kind of visionary workshop about... We've now, um, the fascinating thing is that the book club grew and grew because people were starting to talk about it and get excited about it. So when they met each other over the coffee machine of whatever, it's like, we had a really interesting, because suddenly it brought a bit of new life into that organization um, and, and, and new hope in a way. Um, and it was, uh, it was very innocent to begin with, but it actually grew to become a bit of a, a little mini movement. Um, to the point where uh, the CEO had to take interest um, and could not ignore it. And, um, and I was told that he read the book as well. Um, and it's still early days, so I can't say whether they will become the new regenerative business, but it uh, for sure created some, some, uh, some movement and some, and some interest and awareness. And that's something that we could all do. Um, and see ourselves as these imaginal cells that are uh, that have light dormant in society and are waking up and are finding each other and are starting to group and form and that's how metamorphosis and transformation truly happens. Um, so it's so incredibly important. Uh, I'm very excited about inspiring the next generation um, and have have tried for for years to have um, a course on Copenhagen Business School in regenerative leadership, but they are not interested, which is insanity to me. Um, and they, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to stop myself there, or else I will regret what I say. But it's um, um, it's so incredibly important that we empower the next generation, but it's also impor- pow- important that they see themselves as catalysts for change and don't make the mistake of previous generations where we are trained to believe that we have to walk the corporate ladder and we have to fit in and do things a certain way, um, wear a mask and play a role to be taken seriously in advance. Um, it's It's so incredibly important that those that interact with students are empowering them to believe in their own um, uniqueness and essence and explore that. I think this is good advice, not only for 
the young students, as you say, this this is good advice for also others, because I th- I think many will feel that they are in a situation in, a, in an organization where they are not in power. Uh, yeah. So how to find that power and how to start to work perhaps alone and then in a community with others and then also how to create change together with others. We just ended our executive program, the first sustainable business strategy program with our executive students at the Norwegian School of Economics. And and the last session, we talked a lot about who they were as leaders and what they wanted to, to become as leaders. We didn't have this podcast at that moment, but <laughs> in the next next uh, next program, we will have it. And, and you are now a part of the curriculum at the Norwegian School of Economics, at least, <laughs> with this podcast. And we're going to use it, and we're going to use it, and, and we're going to challenge them, and, and we will we will read more. And as I opened up my, my opening question and my opening reflections after reading, it was kind of hit me a little bit in the gut. It, it's it's, it's uh, many new New things there and many things that I, I recognize from, as Lash Jacob said, our, our first PhD course, uh, these ideas of a holistic thinking and the systemic thinking and, and and everything that we needed to change. And it's been with us for a while. At the same time, I think it's it's a good kind of a spark for Lash Jacob. Uh, it's a kind of a, a re... Yeah, maybe a regeneration of of that of the, that way of thinking. I, I'm not sure that we are prepared to fully integrate it in everything that we do, but we will certainly integrate it and challenge both us and young students and our adult students uh, in the future. So with that, Lars Jakob, there's so many things that we could have talked about with you, Laura, today. We could have spent uh, <laughs> hours and hours uh, discussing these things with you, but I hope sincerely that we will be able to continue these uh, conversations uh, in, in the future as well and, and, and surely you will be a part of our story and a part of our adventures in, in, in the ways in, in the time to come that's wonderful and um, I'm here if you if you need me again and um, and thank you for being courageous and curious um, and exploring this further even though it can hit you a bit in the gut Thank you, Laura. Thank you. You have listened to Adventures in Sustainable Business with Jurgensen and Peterson. Visit us at jurgensenpeterson.no okay. where you can find more information about this podcast and other information about our work. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review.